If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Now, let's go to Romans 5.19. Uh, we also have a very special treat for you uh, toward the end of this message today. Then we'll, I'll uh, let you know about that in a few minutes. But verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So what that just taught us is, besides being born, there was nothing that we did to be made sinners. We can thank our granddaddy Adam for making us sinners, right? We're just born that way because of what he did, his act of disobedience. Interesting, Eve doesn't get any of the credit for that, huh? She ate it first. I just kind of want to remind God about that, but... uh, But then also, by one man's obedience, many would be made righteous. So by faith in him, besides faith in him, there's nothing that we did to receive righteousness except believe that what he did was everything that we needed to have a whole new nature. One man was responsible for you being made a sinner, and one man was responsible, that is Jesus, for you being made now the righteousness of God in Christ by what he did. Amen? Look at verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. All right? So the law did not come to make people better. It actually rather came to show just how, just how much we needed God. It came, and then our sin became glaring. Our sin started really showing up. Matter of fact, Paul said, the law came, sin revived, and I died. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now that that scripture right there gets me because I think about how, how much did sin abound. Well, it abounded, it affected every single one of us, didn't it? That one man affected the entire planet, every human born after him. How can there be much more than all, than everything, unless, of course, your God, who is exceedingly abundantly above all, as we got from the scripture today, but we could ask or think. So that teaches us something about sin, and that teaches us something about grace. Grace is greater than sin. Period. Now, there's nothing anyone can do to earn heaven. Am I right? There are not enough good works anyone could do on this earth, not enough charities they can be involved in. They can't raise enough awareness for the right kinds of things in order to gain any kind of recognition from God for a better afterlife. Men are trying to do that. They're trying to do that, but through religious gyrations and efforts and all those kinds of things, and by doing good, feeling like that maybe in the end it will all work out, that the good will outweigh the bad, and God, who is just, surely wouldn't condemn anyone who's done good, who's lived a good life, apart from hell. But that, that's nothing but religious thinking. That's man's own conclusion of, of right standing. It's man's own conclusion of measuring up to God. And the Scripture says none of us measure up to Him. Because it wasn't our actions that got us in trouble. It was the fact that our condition was screwed up. We're born this way. Born this way. Born in sin. So uh, then God then, by His mercy, became man. And that man became sin. Hmm. 
so that we would become righteousness. So our condition changed from one of sin to righteousness. Hallelujah. So then, then what we do actually does matter. Not, not for heaven. You can only attain heaven by faith in Jesus. That's the only way. But there are, we, we do good things because we are earning rewards in heaven that Jesus earned for us. Are you, get, are you catching this? Us going to heaven is not a reward for anything we've done. Us being a, in heaven is Jesus' reward. You are, we are all his reward for what he did for us. So this grace, no, and I don't think anybody would disagree that, that believes in Christ that works can't save you, period. Right, you can't do enough good works to escape eternal destruction if you don't put your faith in Christ. Is that true? Is this, okay. So then, one of, my, one of the problems I've seen in, 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 in the church and things that I, I learned growing up was that no matter the good things you did, you could still never measure up and you still could not overcome the power of sin. But then I was told that, that you need to receive this free gift of salvation, but once you receive it, you better do good things. Because if you don't do good things, then you will not be able to maintain that salvation that was freely given to you. Which teaches us something interesting to me. That kind of thinking says sin is more powerful than grace. That belief says sin is more powerful than grace. That no works could keep you, could make you right. But once you have been made right, it's only by works that you stay right. Now what's the need for grace then? What's the need for grace? There's a scripture over in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that says that, that every, all God's gifts, that His gifts, that they are ours without repentance. Is that right? Bring that up right quick on the screen, can we? Romans chapter 11, verse 29. Thank you, Josh, for doing that. I didn't, you didn't have that in your list of things to bring up. But Romans chapter 11, verse 29. This is an interesting verse of Scripture to me. It's a wonderful verse. For God's gifts and His call are irrevocable or irreversible. All right? He never withdraws them once they are given, and He does not change His mind about those to whom He gives His grace or to whom He sends His call. All right? Now, we all believe that as... as human beings, we are all gifted by God. Now, whether we ever acknowledge God in that gift, well, that's one thing, okay? But it doesn't matter because he gives the gift regardless. Those, those special gifts that God placed in you when, when he was just you and him in, his, in your mother's womb, God was, hey, good to see you. Welcome home. He was knitting you together, as the scripture says, and he put his design and plan in, in place and, and, and deposited these gifts, hallelujah, into you that you would discover along the way in life and that would be able to pull out and that would be able to be a blessing to others. These gifts that are naturally yours, put there, given to you by God, irrevocable. Whether you ever acknowledge him or not, it doesn't matter. They're irreversible. Can we all receive that today? We all believe that. Do we all believe that? That you're gifted no matter what. It cannot be reversed. 
But it's interesting that those gifts, that you can receive those gifts by God, he just does that just because he loves us, right? But if you, but if you never believe on Christ, you can still have those gifts and still enter into a Christless eternity. Now, let me ask you a question today. Is grace a gift of God? Is it a gift of God? Is grace a gift? It's absolutely a gift from God. So how is it that when you receive grace, how, that which can never be reversed, which can never be reversed, which can never be reversed. Come on, you guys got to grab a hold of this. It can never be reversed. Otherwise, God's not true to his word. Ah, oh, okay. Oh, God, I let you down. Hey, 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 you were never holding me up in the first place. Hmm? Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded. Let's say those two words loud. Much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness. Listen to that sleep falling. We need to hurry up. To eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the question, the question many have, they had then and they still have today is, are you saying in order for grace to abound that sin needs to continue? Not whatsoever. Not whatsoever. I get accused all the time of preaching what do they call it? Greasy grace? That, to me, that's pathetic that someone would ever call the grace of God greasy grace. I was greasy. And God gave me grace. <laughs> Come on. Well, we were stinking it up. And then grace came to us. What about sin, though, Pastor Eric? We got we to gotta talk about sin. All right, let's, say, let's talk about sin. Christ died for our sins. Let's talk about it. Christ died for our God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses against them, not accounting the, their sin. That's, let's talk about sin. Let's talk about how utterly defeated it is and its power. Let's talk about sin and the fact that Jesus' blood has washed us away from all of our sins. That he took upon himself the full penalty for our sins. And when he said it is finished, that meant that sin's power was over. That no longer was God looking at man with this, this sea of, through this sea of sin. No longer. He could only see us now reconciled to God through His Son. And at that moment, everyone's names were written in glory. There's only one stipulation. All you have to do is claim your reservation. That's all you have to do. It's written there. But if you show up without having claimed your reservation on the day when you stand before God, then He has to mark out your name. That was already there. By his son. Amen. So all you got to do is claim. How do you claim your reservation? You say, I believe. I believe that Christ died for my sins. I believe that he was buried. I believe he rose again from the dead. I believe that, when, that he is all I need to have a right relationship with God. He's all I need to live this everlasting life. He's all I need to know God, not as a judge, but as my father in heaven. Can you receive this today? 
I hope you can. This is Bible. Listen. Jesus, did he, did he pay the debt? Did he? Yes. Or is he going to have to come back and, and, and redo it? Because he didn't get it right the first time. <laughs> Round two, Jesus. There's a lot of sin out there. That's pretty pathetic to think about it like that, isn't it? But hey, hang on a second. If we're not careful, we don't realize, and we wouldn't say it so, so like that, but, but how we live might tell that. How we live our lives might tell another story. I was talking to a, a man year, uh, some time ago, maybe last year sometime, and he told me over the phone, this man has a ministry, and he told me, he said, Pastor Eric, you know what I do? Just in case, every night I make my peace with God. I make sure I've confessed my sins just in case. Just in case? Just in case of what? Are you depending upon your confession of your sins so that if you happen to die in your sleep that night that you'll go to heaven? That's what you're depending on? You need to read your Bible, bro. Get out of that religious church you've been raised in all your life where the preacher is hammering you down with religion and legalism, man, I'm, I am so done with that stuff. I, I, I was raised around that stuff. I'll tell you what, there's some of the filthiest people on planet Earth, the people that got all the do's and don'ts down. Amen. Okay, well, you know. Hey, listen, you don't need faith to believe that you're a sinner. What you need faith for is to believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, even in the midst of your failure. This is what we got to have faith for. Hey, man, it's easy for me to believe that I'm a screw-up. And Paul is addressing this mindset. Now, look what he says, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? He says, I know, I know where you're going with your question because when I make this grand statement of where sin abounded, grace much more abounded, here comes the yeah, but. So you're saying that I'm just going to do whatever I want and grace abounds. Now watch what he says. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid. Listen to why this is not going to be an issue, ladies and gentlemen. Let's continue. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Sin shouldn't be an issue, ladies and gentlemen. If you believe that Christ died for your sins, why is it still an issue? Why do you keep thinking about it? God's not thinking about it. Except that we kind of think he is. We look over our failures. We look over, we got to think. Somewhere in the back of his mind, I know he's storing that up. But you need to know God then if that's what you believe about him. You need to know who he really is. He said, I will remember them no more. See, what you have today is what guys like Job and David and Abraham and Moses, all those guys were crying out for your reality today. David looked ahead and said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Because right now he's checking it down every time I sin. He, yep, there goes David again. But God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. Instead, instead of blaming you, now he just blamed his son for what you did. Oh. Paul says, how, how can this happen? How can you live in what you're dead to? 
So I have to ask a question. How dead am I supposed to be, Jesus? Hmm? How dead do you want me? How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? Verse 3, or do you know, not know that as many as, of, as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death. So, so you were baptized into Jesus, and at that same time, I was baptized into his death. So whatever Jesus went through then, I went through. You went through. Paul said it like this later on. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Because i got to have faith to know this reality. i got to have faith to really know God. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So whatever Jesus went through, we went through because we are now in him. Therefore, we were buried. Verse 4, buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. We're dead. We're dead to sin, but we are to walk in newness of life. What does that look like? How do you who are dead walk? There's only one way. By faith. How who are you that are dead walk in newness of life? Faith by walking by faith is walking in newness of life. I want to I help some of you today because I, I think I, I went through some things that maybe some of you are struggling with. And that is when I, was, when I was growing up, I was really afraid of God because of the things I was exposed to, some of the teachings and things like that. Because I was, we were told all the time that we were going to go to hell for this reason or whatever. It was really sad. And I was afraid. I was just afraid of God. And so I always felt like that when I did want to pray, and it wasn't very often that I wanted to, but that when I did want to pray, that I felt like I needed to, I needed to fix a few things before I approached him. You know, I felt like I needed to confess faults that I knew about or didn't know about. I felt like that I needed to show God how sincerely sorry I was so that, so that he would see my humility and, 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 then, and then say, okay, you can come on in now. Now that you've showed me some sincerity, now that you've showed me some tears, now that you've shown me some true godly sorrow, now you can come and let's talk business now. And that's how I prayed for many years, thinking that I needed to, to get things right. I needed to get things. Think how backwards that is. How can I possibly get anything right? So then I'm depending on me. And no, it's not longer about him. It's about me. It's no longer about my Jesus. It's about me. And basically shunning what he did. And trying to take it upon myself to somehow pay for what I've just done. And then I look at the scriptures. You know, you, you can learn things if you read the Bible. You can learn things about God. You really can. 
And I saw Jesus taught the disciples this prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. He taught them to pray. It should actually be called the disciples' prayer. But, <clears throat> but it's interesting. And, it, and this whole prayer is under the context of the law. And I'll talk to you about it in just a moment. This is not really a prayer for New Testament believers. But, but, it, but Jesus, he, because he is the new covenant, he's, he's kind of peeking open the curtain and showing us something really interesting. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Let's all do it together. Our Father. Go ahead. Go through it. Now give yourselves a hand. That was wonderful. Okay. But, okay, so notice this. He says when you pray. And the first thing he says to talk about is your relationship. Father. Father. Holy is your name. Worshiping him. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That is declaring God's kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. And then the next thing is to ask for supply. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he gets to this other thing. And forgive us our trespasses. Wow. Well, that messes with my little religious head. That I spend some time talking to my father, worshiping him, declaring his kingdom, asking for stuff, and then somewhere down the list going, oh yeah, by the way, forgive me. And this is under the context of the law. Because that prayer says, forgive me as I forgive others. But that's not your prayer today. Your prayer is, I thank you that I am forgiven. Therefore, I forgive others. Not to receive it, but because I already have received it. That's what the scripture says for Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That empowers you to forgive anyone. Amen. This isn't about fear anymore. Well, I better do it so God will forgive me. What a motivation, huh? But now it's a love thing. Now it's a love thing. I forgive others because I am forgiven. So freely I have received, therefore I freely give. Glory to God. That set me free. It really did. I really I understood something because, you know, well, Pastor Eric, what about 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, that's exactly right. But you have to understand what that means in the Greek. If, if, if your salvation is dependent upon your confession of sin, then I'm not too sure that you have really fully received salvation. 1 John 1, 9 says, in the Greek context, if we say the same thing about our sin as God says. Wow. What has God said about your sins? Forgiven. And I felt like, and it was interesting for me because it was a process for me to go from, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. I'm sincerely sorry. I really am. I'm I, I, by the way, I never got victory doing that. I just kept coming back to the same thing over and over again. But when I decided to approach God like he told me to approach him, 
boldly before the throne of grace, having just sinned. Father, at your right hand is my high priest. The one who is my advocate. Your word says, if I do sin, I have an advocate with the Father. And I thank you that his blood, that eternal redemptive blood, cleanses me. So I'm not going to wallow. I'm not going to wallow in this sin and regret. Because because Jesus did that for me. He took the guilt and the shame. So I come boldly before my Father, and I thank you that I have grace today. Now let me tell you something. That went against everything that my body and mind was telling me to do. You have to have faith to approach God in that manner, especially in the midst of your weakness. Are you hearing me? You come to him, especially in the midst of your failure, to come to him boldly and say, I declare Jesus is Lord of my life. I have been made the righteousness of God in him. I am holy. I am blameless. I am above reproach. Not by works that I have done, but by his own mercy he saved me. By his love I am forgiven. Are you catching this? And I'm telling you what, my whole relationship with God changed. When I just started doing it like he told me to do it. Really believing, really believing that sin is done. So this teaches you and I something powerful, doesn't it? We don't live for God. We live from God. In Him and He in us. Oh, yeah, that is better. That's a lot better. Because here's the thing. You can train your flesh. You can train your flesh to do whatever you need it to do. He really can. My father-in-law, amazing man. I never met anybody quite like him. He did, he did make a pretty girl. I will say that. That was really more on my mother-in-law's part than him. This guy smoked five packs a day years and years ago. Five packs of cigarettes a day. That's a hundred cigarettes a day. That's addicted now. But that's how he is. He's all or nothing, right? So you hope he's all good because if it's, if it's bad, it's all in. And he did that for years. One day he's, he's in a grocery store and he's got his carton of cigarettes, which is going to last him two days. I didn't know that. Heather told me how many packs of cigarettes are in a carton. So that's how I knew. There's 10. So that's how. She, she, had, to, she had to teach me about all the evil that's in the world. <laughs> And, he had, and he's also a, 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 a gun collector and outdoorsman big time. So he, there was a, guns, a new guns and ammo magazine. And so he walked up to the, to the uh, clerk there to, to check out. And he had his, his cigarettes and he had his guns and ammo magazine and realized he didn't have money for both. So he just bought the guns and ammo magazine and left the carton of cigarettes and never smoked again. Went from five packs a day to say, eh, I'm done. You can train the flesh to do whatever you want it to. That's your choice. It'll, it'll do it. It'll obey. It'll obey. It'll obey your choices. Are you hearing me? Amen. It, it'll do it. So, and, and I'm saying that because, because if we're not careful, we will we will we'll base our relationship on God with what we're able to train our flesh to do. Like if, I, if I'll just pray more, if I'll pray more, then things will get better. And if I can log enough time in of prayer, I'll get breakthrough. Or if I can, or if I can study more, then, then, then you know, if I'll go to church more, 
I, re- I do recommend that. But, you know, if I, do, if I do these things, maybe if I'll just start giving, things will get better. And then your relationship with God is really just one of simply things being better for you. And as long as the things are good, well, you're good. But my question is, what if things don't change? When are you going to quit? What if it doesn't all turn out like you want it to? When will you quit? Because if you quit, then this whole thing has been about you. But if you could honestly say, God, I'm totally happy, satisfied just knowing you. If things don't get better, I'm satisfied knowing you. Because my hope is in you. My life is in you. Not in the hope that things just get better for me here on the earth. God forgive us for thinking like that. Y'all aren't supposed to get quiet. Y'all are supposed to be shouting there. Amen. Let's go beyond that. Because see, here's the thing. Doing what we do so things can get better does not necessarily mean that we're depending on God. Because we can make this flesh do what we need it to do. Well, and God is true to his word, by the way. He's faithful. That's all that you need to remember. I just want to know what's motivating you in your relationship. Do you want to see his acts or do you want to know his ways? You want to just know a God that can perform for you? Or do you want to know why he does what he does? Who he is? Scripture says he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. What a sad thing. Moses said, show me your glory. I want to know you. Paul said, I want to know him, Christ. (laughs) And the power of his resurrection. Because everything I've learned up to this point, I count it as a steaming pile of you know what? Compared to the knowledge of Christ. To just simply know God. And I'm learning along the way that it's all right that I have weaknesses because it's in my weaknesses that his strength is made perfect. It's in that weakness is where I really understand my immense need for God. And his divinity is a perfect match for my humanity. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., or 1 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please visit onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Cause Church. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.